Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a special seasonal episode of A Stab in the Dark, the UK TV podcast that investigates the worlds of crime fiction and TV crime drama that hangs up its stocking on Christmas Eve, only to find on Christmas morning that there's a severed leg in it. My name's Mark Billingham and have I got a sack that's positively bulging with festive treats. Grow up. Today I am thrilled to be joined by four, yes four, of the UK's best-selling crime writers. There's Chris Brookmeyer, whose novel Black Widow won a veritable sleigh load of awards and whose most recent thriller is set in space. There's Susie Holiday, whose book's Deaths of December couldn't be any more Christmassy if it was wrapped in bacon and roasted in an oven for three hours. And we have the brilliant Martin Waits, who writes under the names Tanya Carver and Martin Waits. We'll be sipping mulled wine and eating our body weight in mince pies, but instead of watching repeats of The Great Escape, we'll be reviewing The Year That Was, the best crime fiction, the best crime drama, the things we'd rather forget, and the books and shows we're looking forward to in 2018. Welcome to A Stab in the Dark. So let's start with Susie. Susie, uh, or SJ Holiday, uh, The Deaths of December. Um, now, you're obviously releasing this, you know, we're, we're talking just before Christmas, although if you're listening to this in July 2021, it's going to sound a bit strange. But Susie, why uh, a murder mystery set at Christmas? Um, basically, my editor really doesn't like Christmas, and neither do I. So um, <laughs> she said, can you write a Christ- Christmas uh, murder mystery with loads and loads of murders? And I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Because there's loads of Christmas books that have got glitter on the front and all kind of nice, um, happy things and mistletoe and stuff. So we thought, why don't we just kill loads of people instead? And it seems to be going down well. So obviously there's a lot of people who are, who are happy to, to, to kill off everyone at Christmas. Why don't you like Christmas? I don't know. It's just really stressful and it's just it's a big build-up to nothing, isn't it? There's not even a Santa. It's rubbish. Oh, you spoiled it now. <laughs> well, that's, that's a downer to kick things off. Uh, presumably, do you do a thing where, because you, you are a holiday, so you are the holidays, you're do you not do a Christmas card where you all grin on it and just go, happy holidays? No, we don't do that. We're probably missing a trick. Um, yeah, maybe that's something for next year. So, no, you, either of you two ever thought about a, a Christmassy crime novel? Nice festive crime novel? No, it, it's never occurred to me, and yet, you know, my, one of my favourite uh, script writers or, or screenplay writers is Shane Black, and he always, almost always sets his stuff at Christmas. Even Iron Man 3, he set at Christmas. <laughs> Seriously, you know, and, and uh, it, it's, it's that he must have that thing about, given that almost everything he makes is. is, is is shot in LA, and so you get that kind of disconnect between the weather and the content. But no, it's never occurred to me to say anything at Christmas. And, and often, maybe it's because of the time you start writing something, you're conscious of the with the time of the year, or or you've got a notion of why it's to be at that time. And I think Christmas, 
for all it. Did you get that thing where if you're watching a series, you you don't want to watch the Christmas episode if you found yourself watching it in April? You know, yeah, yeah. well, kind of yeah. you don't want to read a novel that's all about Christmas at any other time of the year. So you don't like Christmas, Susie? What's what's the best Christmas present you've ever received? Um, not being in the UK for Christmas. Oh, so you like to get out? Just get the hell out. <laughs> yeah, I had a really good Christmas um, a few years back where me and my husband went to Madeira on our own and just had a really, really quiet Christmas and didn't have any presents or anything. It was great. I know, it's a proper Grinch, I know. Um, it's not that bad. I mean, I've got I've got nieces and nephews who love Christmas, so I go and see them and it's all happy and, and I wear my Christmas dress and I, I pretend that I love Christmas. What but your Christmas dress? What I've got that? a Christmas dress which has got, like, um, Santas and sleighs and Rudolphs and stuff and it's a shame we're not on film or I would have worn it. So everybody looks at you in that dress and thinks, oh, there's someone who really loves Christmas. Yeah. And actually inside you're just yeah. raging. Yeah, I did I did, an, I did an event recently where I wore the, uh, the red Christmas dress covered in Santas and a little green sparkly sequin thing. I basically looked like a quality street. And um, everyone was like, oh, it's great, you love Christmas, don't you? And I'm like, no, I really don't love Christmas. Martin, do you like, well, a, bit, do you like a bit of Christmas? I do. I've got a Christmas jumper as well, but it's a Christmas Doctor Who jumper. So it's got festive Daleks and weeping angels and Tardises. Yeah. On it and snowflakes and it's 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 lovely. I only wear it once a year and even then for not for very long, um, possibly about fifteen or twenty minutes before you know I realise how ridiculous I look. But I mean I I, I do agree with what you're saying, Susie, about Christmas because I mean it's a massive massive build up. I always think that the build up is more fun than the actual thing itself because I mean by lunchtime on Christmas Day it's all over. Yeah, you just want to go to sleep then and wait till the next year. Well, no, I mean I you know as, as long as I can watch the Doctor Who Christmas special and oh, the Strictly Christmas five special minutes and he's already talking <laughs> about Doctor Who. I did warn you about this. I know. That's it. I, I'm done now. Jumper, I I got a special. Morrissey Christmas jumper which when I bought it a few years ago I thought this is kind of cool and ironic it's Morrissey but now of course Morrissey's so tarnished <laughs> yeah. it's like I'm just a UKIP supporter out <laughs> celebrating the holidays. Um, so uh, let's come back to you, Chris. You've had you've had a heck of a busy year. Um, the latest Jack Parlaway novel, "Want You Gone," came out, closely followed by "Places in the Darkness." Tell us a bit about that. Your your crime novel set in space. Uh, I, I, well, I was just talking there about Shane Black. I suppose I, I took my cue from that. One of the things I love about Shane Black is he's kind of the king of the mismatched investigator story. I was going to say buddy cop story, but you know, the Places in the Darkness was my attempt at that. But they're not buddies by any stretch because it's two women who pretty much detest each other uh, and also I suppose Shane Black always makes these about guys it's very masculine banter type, type stuff and I wanted to write something that was about two very mismatched women and I just had the notion of setting it in space um, I mean, it's not like I thought oh, I've got a great idea for a buddy cop th- story but I'll set it in space you know, I, did, I was thinking I was talking to my editor at Orbit who wanted a science fiction novel but wanted it to be a crime novel um, and this idea came to mind, and it was a blast because I, I don't normally write about police procedure because other people know it, know the, the the rules. They do it better than I would, and also you get the the nitpicking letters saying that you got abs- everything wrong, so nobody can tell me that the procedure isn't any way wrong because it's all made up by me. Yeah, but you still managed to upset. My, my favorite, one of my favorite. You know where I'm coming. You know where I'm going with this. One of my favorite things on Twitter was was the person that wrote you, kind of going, "This is a science fiction novel." It was, for it was a one-star Amazon <laughs> yeah. review that said, 
this is science fiction nonsense, all yeah. in caps. That was the kind of headline, and it said uh, this is that Amazon should put a serious science fiction warning on this. I don't know what they mean by serious science fiction, but serious science fiction warning. I thought I bought this in good faith, and it was a waste of a tenner. And yeah, and I, I put the cover and this comment on Twitter, saying uh, if only my publishers had stuck a space station on the front or something. <laughs> of course, the, the, the front cover is dominated Massive by a giant space, space station, station. <laughs> and the blurb on the back is all about you know, the first murder in space, etc. But this guy was obviously not paying attention. No, what, thinking it was going to be like murder in the vicarage or something. <sighs> who knows? Who, maybe he just saw this thing and thought it looked like a, maybe it was it looked like a. a Space Station looked like uh, dumbbells from a gym, thought that was the murder weapon. You know? <laughs> uh, and Martin Waits, this has been a, a busy writing year for you. I know. Yeah. So, so has 2017 seen a goodbye to, to Tanya Carver and, and a welcome back to Martin Waits? Yeah, it has. I mean, I've, I've been kind of quiet this year in a way um, by not doing any kind of or many personal appearances, um, <laughs> at which a nation has duly mourned. Um, but no, I mean, I've, I've just been, I haven't had a novel out this year, but I have been been beavering away behind the scenes and writing ones, two, three. I'm writing, yeah, doing two at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd given up, the Tanya's kind of came to an end. Uh, the final one came out in 2016, The Lost Girl. And it just seemed to have reached the natural end of the series as well. And then I got asked uh, if I'd like to be Martin Waits again and write as, as Martin. And obviously I would, because it had become tedious in the extreme of trying to explain to people that I was Tanya Carver. Uh, no, I don't dress up. No, 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 that, that really is me. No, you're not going to see me in a frock. Um, and, you know, and I just kind of got a bit fed up with that and doing events as Tanya and getting told that, you know, we'd expected more of a looker. Exactly. Um, that, was, that was one of my favourite moments at the, yeah. at the, at the uh, <laughs> Harrogate Crime Writing Festival several years ago when, when you were nominated for the uh, the Theakstons Award. And uh, nobody knew, nobody knew. No, but nobody it's still knew a secret Tanya, that you were yeah. Tanya Carver. And so Mark Lawson said, and, and our next nominee is Tanya Carver. And up stomps this big, airy Geordie. <laughs> definitely was somebody who I went, blimey, she's not much of a looker, is she? <laughs> um, <laughs> But now she's gone. She's gone. She's, she's gone. history. Well, it's kind of never say never, you know. And I mean, that I'm left it open if I want to put on the frock again, metaphorically. But um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm happy. I've done a new series. It's set in Cornwall. It's kind of a, a, a rural Gothic noir folk horror. Okay. Um, it's kind of a cross between Out of the Past, uh, you know, the, the uh, Robert Mitchum noir mm. and The Wicker Man in Cornwall. And... Um, you know, and I thought, I went down, I mean, I've been, you know, spending about two years researching the, the locations for it in Cornwall. And I found what I thought was this brilliant, brilliant place. And I thought, oh, God, this has been un untouched. Nobody's been here. Nobody's done anything. And so, I mean, what we do, my, my wife and I were just driving around looking for places. Then we'd stop in a and b and anywhere that we fancied and, you know, just kind of explore that bit. And, you know, we were, the next morning after staying in this B&B, &B, we were ready to leave and... And I thought, oh, she said, the woman who had the B&B &B said, well, what are you going to do today? And I said, well, we're just going to um, explore the area, thinking this is kind of unspoiled and we're the first ones to be here. She said, they filmed Poldark behind the back of the house. Do you want to go and have a look at that? And I thought, oh. So we had to start again. But the book the book <laughs> is coming. The book is called The Old Religion, and it's coming in June. Yep, it um, is. And I, I was with you, in fact, very recently when, when proofs yeah. were put into your hand for the first time. Is that still exciting, however, however many years you've been doing this? Yeah. Is that still an exciting moment? I mean, I think it's exciting also because this is the first time in years that it's it's me again. It's had your name on the front. And, uh, yeah, and I mean, uh, the, <laughs> the proofs, you know, 
obviously the don't the proofs don't have the name of the book on it you know it's it's just a, a blurb to try and get people interested in reading it so that the first thing that the book says is the dark heart of cornwall which one of the other writers we were with thought was the actual title um and when we had to disabuse him of that one and tell him no he's oh it's a good title it's not really um but no i mean it is it is exciting to see your proofs i mean you know i was i was reading it again in bed this morning <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, it's good that. Oh, I love it. Oh, well, you <laughs> that's see, a good moment. The next isn't it? bit coming up, that's a really good bit. As opposed that. to that I moment when that. you read something again that you haven't looked at for a while and go, ooh. I know. Why did I, naked why? baby photographs moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, that's exactly. Kind of wish this one could go in the loft. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about let's talk a bit about the year in general. Um, we've all been around doing doing loads of literary festivals and uh, what kind of trends has anybody no- anybody noticed anything kind of bubbling up this year? And I mean, the, the psychological thriller is clearly still massive. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see any sign of that? Stopping? I don't know. Everyone keeps saying it's going to stop, but there seems to be no <laughs> sign of it stopping at all. I've just been sent another couple of proofs, which are psychological thrillers that are out next year. Um, and people still want it, but their readers are getting really um, picky and they want it to be like always original. And, and how many more lines of inquiry of husband and wife can you go yeah. with? Yeah, who so, can you trust? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think what might be the next possible thing is slight crossover of that, so settings like space, for example. <laughs> Cornwall. Or Cornwall. Cornwall. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, that kind of thing, maybe kind of, um, I don't know, ghosts, hopefully, she says, writing a book about ghosts. Um, that um, Maybe just a little bit more of a twist on, on the same sort of thing, but I think the darkness of stuff isn't going to go away. I heard a horrible rumour one day that someone said that the next big thing is uplit, I happy books. Oh yeah, I heard, without yeah. Cr- no crimes, all everyone's happy and yeah. Oh, you know, Ian yeah. Rankin was talking about this. I'm in not the sure. Press, wasn't he? I mean, I don't. I'm I don't sure. I, he may have been misquoted, or it may have just been some chance remark. But some something about how when the world is as terrible as it is, yeah. uh, people want books that are sort of cosier and more reassuring, and everything's all right in the end. Rather, rather as they did after the war, you know, sort of mm. between the wars when cosy, mm. you know, the golden age of crime fiction. Do you think there's anything in that? No, because the, the 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 actual. Golden age of film noir was immediately after the Second oh, World War. But well, also after the First World War, um, I mean, you got was kind of the, the first golden age of the horror movie as well. You know, the, the, the Gothic Universal horror movie, where you were getting a lot of um, soldiers coming home from the First World War. You know, who were horribly disfigured, and you know, or bits missing. And you know, you was this has become a kind of realization of just how horrible the war was, and and the responses to that seem to come through horror movies, you know. So, mm. and again, like you say, in the Second World War was very much um, film noir, you know, which was kind of a, a very, and also it it kind of coincided with with the rise of writers like Jim Thompson and David Goodis, you know, who were mining a really dark and cynical seam of mm. literature. So I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that, you know, I mean, I, I think it tends to, I mean, obviously everything goes in cycles, but I don't think that there's going to be a, a great swing towards happy endings. Oh, I hope not. Up, I remember, terrible. Yeah. I mean, I used to work for Screen International and we would always have these prognosticators in Hollywood claiming what was going to be the next trend. And I recall after Ghost and Pretty Woman were unexpectedly huge, especially given their budgets. And that was everyone then went out and tried to make mid-budget uh, emotional rom-coms or something along those those lines. And that was the prediction. This was the end of the big blockbuster. 
come that summer, um, and the these same prognosticators were saying a film called Dying Young with um, mm. Julia Roberts was going to be the biggest movie of the year. And of course, it didn't even make the top ten. And all the biggest movies that year was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. It was you know Lethal Weapon three or whatever. It was just all big action movies. So I, I would treat the uh, the oplet predictions with a barrel load of. Yeah. I don't think salt. you can change crime readers enjoy reading crimes and psychological fillers they're not going to suddenly say oh, no, I've had enough of that I'll, let's have happy ends and let's all go to the beach and yeah. the, people still want the crimes because they like reading crime fiction well, so. crime fiction has an inbuilt happy ending in that you're satisfied by the yeah. resolution yeah. And, and often uh, there's a, an optimistic end to it so I, I, you know I, I Unless you're going to actually eradicate all the bad stuff, yeah. which is not. Yeah. But also, I mean, it's it's you know it goes back to its basics. I mean, drama is conflict. You know, I mean, if everything's happy. Who wants to read about happy? <laughs> I, I wish the people listening could see Martin's face at this point. He looks utterly nauseated at the very concept of happy. Um, well, yeah. Well, the, the other uh, trend, just to come back to the, the notion of the supernatural, was, was um, just thinking that the, the sort of blending of supernatural or the possibility of what may or may not be supernatural. I mean, one of the most interesting books I read this year was House of Spines by Michael Malone, which plays on whether something is supernatural or not and can kind of, without giving away which way it falls, which I thought was clever because it is still, it functions perfectly well as a crime novel, but adds a certain spooky element to it. And there's the, the there was the Sarah Pimber novel mm-hmm. uh, Behind Her Eyes, which without giving anything away mm. didn't have a conventional ending in, yeah. in, in genre terms at all. So yeah, maybe I mean maybe maybe it's about it's a, it's gonna be a bit of a mashup. Um well, what, oh, oh, sorry, slice, I believe is the slice fiction. Oh slice, you can't say mashup anymore. No no according to, according to my agent the, the correct term is slice fiction. Which okay. which means Mashup. <laughs> well, obviously, obviously, trying to predict any kind of trends is a very dangerous thing. But let's let's start talking about specifics. New authors, any new authors? We'll be talking about our favourite books of the year in a bit. But what about new authors, debut authors that have really knocked us on our backsides this year? Ali Land. Yeah. Um, good me, bad good me. Good me, bad me was one of the probably one of the first books I read this year, and absolutely loved it. Really dark. Um, you you know straight from the beginning that the uh, girl, the main character's mum, is a serial killer, so I'm instantly drawn into that kind of thing, and it's just so well done. I mean, it's it's pretty grim, but it's brilliant, really well done. Chris, I don't think I've read any debuts this year. I've read I've read a debut that we publish next year. That's fine. Uh, it was Dervla McTernan and her book The Ruin, which is about a police officer in Galway, uh, which was absolutely brilliant. Really. Perfectly atmospheric and um, blending two storylines from 20 years ago. The, the first case a guy ever got sent out to when he thought he'd just joined and he, he thought he was being wound up by his mates. And it's, that kind of comes back to haunt uh, modern day events. And it was really, uh, maybe it's one of the things when you read well executed crime fiction that's set somewhere that you haven't read about before. So you're getting a, a different flavour to the... Some elements of it are different, and then some elements are very familiar in terms of the, the politics within the police, but it was really well done. What about you, Martin? Well, I, I haven't really read an awful lot of uh, debut fiction this year. Um, the one that really did stand out was Steph Broadribs, um, which I was gonna, cause I'm going to say the name of the, the second novel as well now. It, deep, deep Blue, deep, dead, dead, dead Blue, blue was Deep. It deep, dead, deep, 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 oh, oh, deep, no. dark, do. <laughs> Deep, deep down, down dead. dead, deep down, down dead. dead, and deep blue trouble, and deep blue, deep blue trouble. Yes, that's yeah. the two. Um, Sorry, Steph. 
But you said, but yeah, but she, she got more of a shout out then, though, didn't she? Um, <laughs> yeah, we said her title fourteen times. Yeah, in, just, in, in every <laughs> permutation. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I loved that. I mean, I loved that book. Um, it seems such a long time ago because I think that came out in January. But I mean, it was it was great. You know, it was a proper good thriller um, with a really um, exciting female protagonist um, set in America. Um, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Nothing not to love about well, it. Well, it, it's it's uh, it's strange and, and slightly uh, scary when some of your books of the year are actually also debuts. Um, mm. I mean, the book the book that seems to have cleaned up in in most ways this year is The Dry by Jane Harper, which is you know deservedly I think it was a, it's an astonishing book. Um, and the other writer for me that I sort of discovered this year was Susie Steiner, um, whose first book, Missing Presumed, um, was just gobsmackingly brilliant and it, there was a real moment of revelation for me where I, I've been thinking for years that somebody needs to come along and kick the police procedural up its arse a bit you know um, and I read this book and thought she's done it she's done it but how did she do it and then I thought she she hasn't actually reinvented the wheel she's just given you characters you really care about it's just that there is no massive secret is there there's no magic bullet you just write brilliantly realized characters um, so let's move let's let's widen it out to books of the year okay come on a couple of books each that, that, that would be on your books. I know we're going to say this, that at least one of the same books. Yeah. Um, what about you, Susie? Um, okay, to Here and Gone, Hale and Beck. Hale and Beck. Um, oh. um, fantastic book because it was like a proper American road trip thriller and but also just had great characterisation and um, I just kind of edge of your seat stuff. Absolutely loved it. And if anybody, anybody listening doesn't know, Halen Beck is the pseudonym of the Irish crime writer Stuart Neville. And once you've read the brilliant Halen Beck book, you need to go back and read the brilliant Stuart Neville books. And the other one, um, which I reckon none of you read, is called Sweet Pea by C.J. Scoos. And it's been described as a cross between Bridget Jones and American Psycho. Oh, and me. it's literally about a girl who just goes postal all the time and it's just so funny and it's terribly awfully dark but it's really really good um, she writes kill lists when she goes shopping like you know <laughs> the man in Lidl tech you know it's, it's like that kind of thing and um, obviously at the heart of it there is a really damaged girl character but the, the execution of it is just great so if you if you want something a bit kind of Non-realistic, but really kind of um, dark and, and fun crime. I really liked that. And Mr. Brookmeyer, yeah. Well, I'm in an uncomfortable position in that one of my two books of the year is written by the gentleman sitting opposite, oh. <laughs> which was uh, Love Like Blood by Mark Billingham. Well, let's, let's, let's scoot over we that. We scoot over that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't get too uncomfortable. Or, or spend the next 20 minutes oh, yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, it. Talking I'm, about not, I'm not yeah, quite yeah. sure how I should react to that. No, Thank because you very much. I, I, I just was so um, swept up by um, the fact that it's... It, not only is it such a, a a terrifying and disturbing thing to write about, um, actually some of the reasons that people haven't broached it before make it all the more terrifying and disturbing. And I thought it was it was so well executed. And but um, we'll get out of the the uncomfortable <laughs> man embrace here that's going on and move on to inevitably uh, the long drop by Denise Miner, yeah. which um, was won the McIlvany Prize, it won the Gordon Byrne Prize. Uh, it was shortlisted for I think the C- two different CWA daggers and I think that's always a sign of a great book that's, that doesn't win the CWA daggers <laughs> 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 um, but it's a, a fantastic novel it's it's set in 1950s Glasgow it's a true story uh, remarkable I mean one of these figures that haunted Glasgow or the, the, the memory of this figure haunted Glasgow for generations of Peter Manuel who would go around and murdered whole families as they slept or or broke into the houses, murdered them 
uh, raped the women, murdered them in front of each other. It, it was just this truly unprecedentedly horrific figure um, in, in Glasgow. But the most bizarre thing that Denise focused on is that um, when he'd murdered this family, that the the guy who wasn't in the house at the time, he was away on a business trip, I think, and the, the true story that he went out on a wild night on the town with Peter Manuel a few months later, ostensibly to find out information, but Denise has other theories about why mm. this was going on. Um, and it's just this kind of bizarre night of a huge pub crawl around a Glasgow that fortunately doesn't exist anymore. It's this incredibly masculine uh, world that has strange rules in the underworld, strange politeness mm. in the underworld. And you read it and think, even the, the geography of Glasgow is completely different because it was before the motorway was built that cut the city in half and... It's so evocative. I mean, you oh, can the pretty much the, you, the atmosphere you, just drips off. The pretty page, much feel like you amazing. need to wash your jacket afterwards because yeah. it's like yeah. it used to be when you went to the pub and your clothes all smelt of smoke. You feel like that by the time you finish the book. Yeah, yeah. it's really quite incredible. And for a book that dwells in such horrible things, it's also really funny at times. You know, she's just got she breaks a lot of rules in terms of uh, the narrative voice. You know, she has lines in there like. Peter Manuel did this because he was a nutter. You know, it's you know, it's uh, it's constantly surprising. You never know where she's going with it or where it's going to take you, and it's absolutely gripping. No, de- deservedly acclaimed book, I think. What about you, Martin? Uh, well, I mean, the the big novel that stood out for me this year was um, The Force by Don Winslow. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a massive fan of his. Anyway, I mean, his his books on the cartel one of them being called The Cartel, and the other one, Power of the Dog, is just everything that you need to know. It's just the last word on on, um, the drug wars in South America and their impact on American society. But he moves to New York with the force and concentrates on a a kind of bent cop who, you know, is he, isn't he, you know, is it sort of turning the blind eye for the greater good kind of thing? Um... And just kind of dissects the na- the notion of, of law and order in this city and what it actually takes to police the streets, you know, and, and to keep order. It's a brilliant piece of work. I mean, one of the things that Don Winslow does so well is he seems to do enough research for 10 writers, but then he wears that so lightly when he actually writes the book that... that you know, because I mean, I hate to read the kind of books where where people tell each other their jobs, and you get that in so many police procedurals, where you know people will turn up at the scene of a murder and tell each other their job, their rank, why they're there, yeah. what their particular interest is that they do. You know, just write a really sort of this clumsy exposition, and Winslow gets around all of that. You know, but he puts he puts it all in. You know who these people are. You know what they do. You know what they're like. Um, and, you know, but, but he never explicitly says it like that. It just becomes a kind of cumulative thing. And it's something, and it's a massive book, a real, real kind of massive doorstop of a book. And you're never bored once, and you never mm. want to put it down. And you're gripped all the way through, right right to the very end. And it's just, it's just the most emotionally satisfying piece of fiction I think I've read all year. 
Great piece. Um, we've done crime fiction. Uh, we've now moved on to the turkey sandwiches and bubble and squeak. And it's now time to turn our attention to the world of crime drama. So do I mean do we all watch? Is it do crime novelists watch a lot of crime drama? Do you think that's that's safe to say, or have we had enough of it? No, do I, we, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's you know it's what you do for a, an evening's entertainment after a hard day writing about crime. Um, <laughs> I mean, I find because it's also the same kind of argument that that um, some people have put forward that they can't read a book while they're writing a book mm. or they can't read a crime novel while they're writing a crime novel which mm. I kind of disagree with because I mean it's 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 also like you know you can't watch the news you can't read a newspaper no, I, you can't I, look out the window you know I, I stand by that one and it's to do with uh, having a strong narrative voice in my head I don't want someone else's strong distinctive narrative voice in my head but when you're watching TV, it's a completely different way of consuming it, and for the same reason, I can read no end of graphic novels, or I can read non-fiction, and it doesn't interfere with. And I think with TV, you're you're not hearing, even if there's a first-person narrator, it's not quite the same. You know, you, you can compartmentalise it. I think so. I, I find it really relaxing to watch any amount of, of crime drama well, and it doesn't interfere with my reading. There is a yeah. amount of crime drama as well. Well there is, I mean there have been a lot of big shows uh, this year just on Netflix, Mindhunter, Dark, Stranger Things 2, The Sinner. What's everybody been watching? We were talking about Mindhunter. We were yeah, I mean I loved Mindhunter um, I mean and I loved it because it wasn't what I expected it to be. Um, even the title I mean David Fincher is doing a thing about the FBI called Mindhunter and I thought straight away it was going to be something like Millennium or you know the, the kind of serial killer of the week thing and it was going to be dark and twisted and I should have known that it wasn't because Joe Penhall was behind it as well writing it and his plays were brilliant but they were all kind of people talking through things in institutions in institutional settings and that's what really Mindhunter was you know just trying to put together the whole science of, of forensic profiling to you know criminal profiling to try and work out what makes a serial killer and actually to call them serial killers mm. um, yeah, yeah there's that know, moment to, in there when they go secret killer say it just say it somebody <laughs> I've only seen the first two episodes but one of the, that was one of the things that struck me was actually the uh, not just about the psychology, but about the bureaucracy, about the the, the glacial pace at which an institution is, is as self-congratulatory as the FBI was at that point. You know, that's one of the things they've got to get over. Once something's been successful, it must be really hard to get them to change their mindset about something. Yeah. And it conveys that very well from what I've seen so far. And I love the fact that the guy who is the lead... Uh, which we were saying earlier, but obviously we weren't saying it on air, so it doesn't really no, matter. Can't say it again? Uh, I can't say it again now. Um, the the fact that they chose somebody who was almost you know playing comedy at first, you know, and it was just kind of the way that he was young and naive, and he had brilliant comic timing because he was kind of behaving like such a klutz and <laughs> almost like tripping over things. You know, it was it was like Norman Wisdom joins the FBI. <laughs> oh, the I see that. And you know, but, but and then from there, <laughs> sorry, but I just now got an image in my head of Hannibal Lecter standing behind that thing, <laughs> going, "Are the sheep still screaming, Mister Grimsdale, <laughs> Mister Pitkin?" Right. <laughs> Susie, Susie, what have you been watching? Um, I've been watching all the psychological thrillers. There's been hundreds of them this year, um, like Dr. Foster, Liar, Apple Tree Yard, yep. Big Little Lies, all of these. Um, and they're all great, but they, pretty much everything I've seen this year suffers from the same problem of the ludicrous ending. Um, yeah. And I think that seems to be the theme for the year for me. Um, you're really gripped and you watch something for like five episodes and you get to the sixth one or whatever and you're just like, oh, for God's sake. Talk, talk us through some of the ludicrous endings. Uh, okay. Um, 
all of them. Okay, Doctor Foster. the the last the, the last episode of that was just horrible and grim and just should have been canned. Um, <laughs> Big Little Lies had a good ending actually because I never guessed it, and lots of people said to me, "How did you not guess that?" But I didn't. So it's always nice when you don't actually guess what's going on. Um, Line of Duty. That. that yeah, I mean, so this year I've watched. I'd previously only watched one season, which was season three or two, one of them. So this year I decided to watch all of them and catch up and they just got more and more bonkers as it goes through, but it's also really compelling. Um, but there's so many bits and I was actually really angry by the end of season four where you, they kind of said, I know it's massive spoilers here, so if you haven't watched it, sorry. But um, the uh, you know, the whole Balaclava Man thing, just mm. was like, what? And they went, oh, it's not really one man, it's a whole syndicate. It's like, that's not fair. You know, if we wrote stuff like that, they'd just be like, that's not well, this fair. Well, this is what I think we should talk about this for a minute because I do think television gets away with stuff um, in, in terms of narrative, in terms of plot holes and that kind of thing that we'd be crucified well, for. Well, yeah. The, the point is well made that uh, it's often at the end of something that has gripped you and it's because uh, the, the conceit or the hook is sufficient for you to invest in the characters and, and kind of in the promise that you're going to have a... Uh, a revelation, an explanation that's worthy of, of everything that's gone before. And often it's something horribly cobbled together. Uh, it falls apart at the end. I mean, I haven't seen any of the second season of Top of the Lake, but it was only a few months ago I watched the first season. And again, it was very gripping. And in the last episode, yeah. you're like chucking stuff at the telly. Same thing with this season, I've got to tell you. I <laughs> right, loved, right. loved it until the last episode. You and, and what? But hey. as, a, as writers, you, you construct with uh, either the ending in mind at the, at the start, or certainly by the time you know your ending, you'll go back through and make sure that the ending is satisfying, that it that it isn't just there to answer a few questions, that it isn't uh, a sort of cursory way of dealing with, with themes. And you're right, we we would be held to a higher standard than that. I mean, you, no end of... I think also, also what you're getting to see is that uh, the curse of this supposed modern golden age of telly is that things are spun out to greater duration than they ought to be. So things have to be, say, 10 episodes that could have been handled in three or four. Yeah. Um, and things become more like a soap opera and there has to be something that keeps... I mean, it, it was probably the the worst um, uh, culprit in this was actually the killing. Uh, that something that clearly, when it was originally conceived, was expected to run for about six weeks. And they realised, oh, well, this is going down really well. We have to extend it. And it yeah. just becomes this soap that gets more and more ludicrous. And by the end of that, you're just not buying anything. I, I think there's actually a lot to be said for that because um, the things that tend to put me off the big Scandi dramas, some of the big uh, uh, American crime shows, are the fact that you have to invest, you know, an uh, amazing amount of time to sit and watch 22 episodes or something or whatever. I mean, the American shows I've really loved, Mindhunter, The Deuce, have all been quite limited. Mindhunter, I think, was 10. The Deuce, I think, was eight episodes. As opposed, you know, as opposed to sitting down and watching yeah. 22 episodes or something. With, with no promise that that's going to resolve things because if it's a hit, we need to have season yeah. two, you know. And and, and, and and the advantage of all of all the, the, the British-based shows you're talking about is they are sort of three episodes or six episodes yeah. or whatever, and you you don't feel like this is the rest of my life <laughs> flashing before no, me. No, but I think there's becoming a trend to that as well now, that they're, they're leaving stuff open. So there's like the end of something where you think that should be the end, and then there's a bit left, mm. so it's yeah. not. And then you hear the next day, oh, it's been commissioned for a season two, and you're like, really? So, I mean, it's, it's just a bit cynical, I think, some of it now. I don't think that it's necessarily a, a new thing or even a question of length because the worst or one of the worst offenders, I think, for the, the kind of brilliant premise, awful conclusion. Um, in fact, it became its trademark, I think, was, <laughs> was Waking the Dead. 
Um, you know, the Trevor Eve thing when he became the, the highest paid actor on TV, I think. It's a shame that the writers weren't because, um, <laughs> you know, that, that it was just, you know, every week you'd have a brilliant premise. Mm. And you think, oh, God, you know, and that was the first episode. And you watch the second episode and it was, it's like, have I, is this anything to do with what I've just watched? Because it, they didn't, nobody could mm. plot. Nobody could plot. Nobody could carry through an idea to its conclusion. And nobody could make it work. None of the writers that they had, and there's probably going to be some of the writers listening to this. Um, but, I mean, I don't know how much interference was by the studios, but it just massively, every second episode of that was a massive, massive letdown. And maybe a lot of effort, too much effort goes into coming up with the first episode of something. You know, so many ideas, and then after that, if, we've, if they've got commissioned on the back of that, yeah. uh, it, it's there isn't the same thought and detail going into the execution. So there isn't a... a a gracefully constructed story arc. I mean, well, one, of the, one of the things that I think happens, and I, and I, I having been on the receiving end of a, of a TV adaptation this year, this is exactly what happened. Uh, you look at the script and the script, and you work on the script, and the script seems to hang together, and it all makes sense, and you like it, and then off they go and they film it, and then you the thing is put together, and then you go, but hang on, you've cut that scene with X in the pub, and they go, yeah, oh, we had to cut that because of X, Y, and Z, and you go, but if you cut that scene. Nothing, nothing that happens afterwards makes any sense because that key piece of information is missing. And the t- the people in, in TV terms tend to go, oh, that's fine. People, <laughs> that doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and I, but as a viewer, you watch that going, hang on, what have I missed? And what you've missed is the scene that got cut yeah. because, yeah. you know, the actor didn't give a particularly good performance or they were overrunning by five minutes or whatever it might be. Whereas we have all the time in the world, in a way, to, to, to put the books together. Mm. And if an edi- editor get back to, gets back to us going, that, there's something wrong with that scene, we just fix it, mm. you know, mm. or we should fix it. Um, <laughs> but what, what about the sort of returning big hitters this year in terms of uh, UK crime drama, Sherlock, Broadchurch? What do people make of those? I don't watch those. You don't? Oh. Why is that? Is that, I is watched that the very because first... you hate Christmas? Yeah. No, I watched the first Sherlock years ago and I was a bit meh. Um, and I've watched the. I know you. Everyone's mouths are hanging the right, open the, here. The, the, the I listening know, devices, even as we speak. Fi- it's just not really my thing. Um, Why not? Why not, Susie? I, I want to plum- get into this. I don't really like the actor in it. <laughs> I know. I'm going to get shot now. I really shouldn't be saying this. There are going to be all. What are they? Aren't they? They're called something very derogatory, aren't they? Fans of Benedict Cumberbatch, which I better not say. You know, he has a strong female following. Cumberbitches. Cumberbitches, terrible yeah, thing. But they're going well, to come after I know, you. I know I'm going to get hate me. I'm going to go back and I'm, my Twitter mentions are going to be off the roof. Well, luckily it's not live, so it's fine. <laughs> I can move away. Um, the, the Broadchurch, I watched the, <laughs> Broadchurch, I watched the first one uh, and it was great, but it was one of those ones that I also thought you should just leave it at the first one. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's been ruined. I started to watch, was it the third one this year or the second? I can't third remember. I started to watch it and I just kind of thought, no, I don't want to watch it because I loved that for what it was in the first one and I don't want to kind of ruin that so actually that's something that I think had a hugely satisfying ending Broadchurch I, this, I, this, this series season. I thought this series was the best of the three. Oh, now I have to go and watch it yeah I, I did I absolutely <laughs> loved it I was gripped every week and the fact that it was you know it became kind of event TV appointment TV that you watched it every Monday night you know and you put you set aside time for that it was like kind of watching you know, old school drama in an old school way. You know, you weren't streaming it. You weren't, you know, uh, 
downloading it. You weren't watching the whole episode after episode like you do on Netflix. You know, you came back there every week to find out what would happen at the end. And I, I absolutely loved it. I really, really did. And I, I felt properly satisfied. I thought it was one of those shows that, like Chris just said, there's two or three episodes in the middle of it. You just think they're treading water here. This is a four part series made into an eight part series, you know, and it's just, oh, we'll just throw in another suspect to the mix during this episode. So, and you end up feeling slightly cheated because you just think I'm watching this just to find out what happened. You know, I'm not, I'm not yeah, actually yeah. getting anything out of it other than yeah. I just want to know what happened. I, I, I didn't see any of the subsequent series. I remember really enjoying the drama of the first um, and, and the depiction of bereavement and all of those things. But I remember just because of personal peccadillos getting really angry about the fact that they they had this um, supposed psychic character oh, yeah. who... The first oh, yeah. for the first couple of episodes, I thought this is really interesting because this is what they do. They get close to an investigation so they can make out that they've divined information. But then by the end of it, they'd actually imp- implied that he did have psychic powers. <laughs> and at that point, to me, that's that's now a supernatural drama, you know, because you know th- there is no way of rooting that in reality because to this day there's still no evidence anyone can do that. And I thought. I, I don't, I don't buy that. Also, I never, I never really bought the conclusion of the first Broad Church. I thought that that was an attempt to to think of the person you least expect uh, and nail it on them. I want to, I want to uh, bang the drum for the Deuce on uh, Sky Atlantic. Is it the Deuce? Um, which I just think was a fantastic show. Again, nice and compact, eight episodes, um, and it's a show largely written by crime writers, by by American crime writers, mm. conceived by uh, David Simon. Uh, who we talked to on this show not so long ago, um, of The Wire and George Pelicanos, and then written by the likes of George Pelicanos and Lisa Lutz and Megan Abbott and Richard Price. I mean, just incredible stuff. And mm. I just, I just, you know, if you haven't seen it, please watch it. I, am I the only one that's seen it around this table? Yeah, I don't know, Sky. I, just I, Sky. I, I must <laughs> say, uh, I, of, of the, I didn't really see a lot of UK crime drama this year, but the, the two American ones that I really loved... Um, was obviously, I think Bosch continues to mm. deliver really tight story arcs, uh, great characterisation. There's not a moment wasted. You know, you're you're not feeling like they're they're padding out a story to more episodes. In fact, no, this is, again, for anybody listening, longer. this is this is Bosch based on the on the, the Michael Connolly novels, and and people that love them, the, the, those books, and I'm one of them. Were very you know very scared about mm. this thing coming to TV, <laughs> and it nearly happened for many. I think at one point there's rumour Harrison Ford was going to play Bosch. This is how long ago, mm. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the things were optioned for the screen, and so there was a lot of trepidation when when that show first came and looked at the casting and this guy Titus Welliver and they've yeah. updated, and it is just brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah. And the other thing which seemed, I don't know if it was, was even this year, but one of the ones I enjoyed most this year when I, it was on Made by Amazon was Goliath with Billy Bob Thornton. Because again, it was very well executed and it wasn't designed to be set up to come back for another. Uh, it was just a, a legal crime drama, uh, but Billy Bob Thornton was just perfect in it. What about what about shows that are coming up in the new year? Anything you're especially looking forward to, Martin? Uh, well, in terms of crime? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure, really. I mean, obviously, I'm looking forward to the new series of Doctor Who. Oh, uh, which okay. is you managed by... to go about 20 minutes there without, <laughs> without giving it a mention. Made by Chris Chibnall, who made Broadchurch, starring oh. Jodie Whittaker from Broadchurch. Oh, it, it's a, so, the way it all comes together is It's incredible, isn't it? Isn't it? See, this is the way my mind works. And there were the, the, the second series of Mindhunter, I presumably. I think there's going to be one of those. Gonna be, I think there will be a second series. Yeah. I, mean, um, I mean, one of the things that I love, which I would love to see a second series of, was The Punisher. You know, the the Netflix Marvel Comics series. Because, I mean, that was just straight down the line crime story. Right. No kind of super heroics. But again, you know, 13 episodes, could have been 10, could have been 8. A little bit padded there was, out. There was no superhero stuff. No, Nobody had any superheroes. powers. No? 
No powers at all. Not, not no, at all. promise. Frank Castle got the power to kill you dead and make yeah. you stay there. Yeah. Oh, no, he's just, he's just <laughs> it's, hard. Yeah. Hard, yeah. <laughs> he's just hard. That's his superpower. He's, he's, he's hard. He's troubled. <laughs> okay. What about you, Susie? Would, will you be watching the next series of Broadchurch? You won't be watching Sherlock if it comes back, presumably. No, I, do, I don't know what's coming up next year, actually. I don't. I, I need to, I need someone to give me a TV guide. You need a big bumper edition <laughs> of Radio Times going on. or something. Is there going to be another line of duty? Oh, yeah. Apparently there is. going to be two more line, lines of duties, so. Oh. Well, yeah, we'll watch them for ludicrous fun. It's, it's, and then you, yeah. you'll get to the end and go, I don't... The, the other thing in the, the end of this series was there was the hairbrush. Yes. Again, that's not a spoiler for anybody, but if you watched it, you went, hairbrush? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, so watch it, just to know why Susie and I are both going, hairbrush! And the hand. And the hand. The, the hand. hand. The hand. The, the hand. hand. That, that hand really annoyed me, actually, the whole way through. And like, no one ever checked what was wrong with her hand, and then suddenly she's got MRSA and it gets cut off. It's like, come on. Um, there was what, yeah. Is this true? Okay, we've all uh, done a bit of forensic stuff in our time. Can you? I can't remember if this is in Line of Duty or in something else I saw. But if you chop somebody's hand off, can you use that dead hand to operate fingerprint touch on their phone? Well, that's what she was doing. That's, that's what, you see, I don't think yeah, you can. I don't think you can either because there's no blood moving through. I don't. Yeah, Please so write in to a stab in the dark uh, <laughs> and let us know. Don't actually put this into practice and test it. The uh, fingerprint would work, but I don't know if the fingerprint recognition would yeah, work. Yeah, that's right, because yeah. it's not. I had uh, at the end of um, it was I think it was the end of a snowball in hell. Somebody just pulled pull somebody's eye out to use for sort of optical <laughs> recognition thing and I actually asked a, a consultant ophthalmologist whether this would work and they said yes and then there was someone who was a kind of junior ophthalmologist come up at an event said it wouldn't and I thought mm, if, no. if, your, if your books were held up to, to, to well, that level of scrutiny was, yeah. can you abseil down the side of a building on somebody's yeah, intestines was, I'm not sure Chris it was a, dear Mr Brookmeyer my enjoyment of your otherwise excellent book <laughs> Okay, yeah. so look, what about books? Let's let's talk about some of the books that, that are coming out. Because obviously, we're lucky enough to get books in advance. We get advanced copies and proofs, so we see the stuff that's coming. What are people looking forward to? Goes without saying we're all looking forward to The Old Religion by Martin Waits. But Absolutely. Martin, what yes. is Martin Waits looking forward to next year? I'm looking forward to the new Mick Heron. Oh. Yes. Yes, yeah. let's just pick up a, Mick Heron for a yes. minute or two. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually halfway through it just now. Oh, it's so brilliant. It it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm very, very um, jealous and not going to talk to anybody who's read it or half read it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's London Rules, which is coming next year from Mick Heron, which yeah, I mean, is I, wonderful. I adore him. And he's, you see, I mean, it's it's kind of annoying that, that somebody as talented and brilliant as that is so nice as well. <laughs> yeah. And he's such a nice guy and you just can't, you know, you know, fault him for being so successful you know you can hate him really for that because he's just kind of got everything got and he's such a good writer and such a nice bloke hate him so but i can't wait to read his new novel right, I mean, it's <laughs> right. what about you chris i'm afraid that's my thunder stolen that was <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> um in fact i don't know what what uh what's what's coming out next year because uh, you do get sent proofs and, and I've, I've read a few of them already so for instance the ruin was was one of the ones that's coming out early next year and the Mick Heron, uh, I mean, just the the cast, this menagerie of characters that he's yeah. got, but of course Jackson Lamb at the, the heart of it all is just one of the most entertaining creations in, in British crime fiction and I don't know how long. I mean, he just makes you laugh all the time and yet is constantly surprising. 
Um, what about you, Susie? What what advanced copies have you read that are um, two salivating? Two quite standout. Uh, the Bonekeeper, um, ah, Luca Veste. Luca Veste, absolutely. A brilliant kind of horror kind of crime stuff, which I really love, and it was really well done, and uh, that's going to be huge, I hope. Um, another one, another um, contender for Cornwall Noir, Amanda Jennings. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. her uh, new one, The Cliff House, is out next year, and it's great. So you're just saying, you know, yeah. you've got to keep up your game with the Cornwall Noir. You've got yeah. to <laughs> well, I did, I did ask Amanda, if she, I think because the uh, novels are coming out at the same time, I did say, did she fancy doing some, oh, some joint events? Thinking. Yeah. Never heard back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to yours. I, 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 I love Cornwall. I love that kind of, it's a little bit weird, so it's a perfect setting for a crime yeah. novel. <laughs> Um, Amanda's is great because it's kind of partly set in the eighties, and um, you you think it's so just Cornwall. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 you think it's one thing, and then it actually has a a, a very very satisfying ending. So yeah. I, I did remember something I'm looking forward to next year, which uh, I just received the proof and haven't got around to it, uh, which is Doug Johnson's new book, Fault Lines. Oh, yes. Fault Lines, which because I have read. This, I have read already. That as well. That's, that's great. Cornwall. And talking about books that's coming next year, tell us about. What you've got coming next year? <laughs> not, not, not under your own name, but uh, no. Under I mean, um, ordinarily, I'd have a new crime novel, but seeing as my publishers published two in the same year, uh, I, I would normally have a gap. But now I've, I've co-written a novel with my wife, and we've written it under the pseudonym of Ambrose Parry, and it's called The Way of All Flesh, and it's set in 1847 in Edinburgh, and it's um, mixes fiction with real historical characters set around the the early pioneering days of anaesthesia, and in particular obstetric anaesthesia. And it's going to be huge from everything <laughs> we're hearing. I think this is going to be a big book. Yeah, it's, uh, we, I've been quite taken aback. 22 years of writing, and my wife comes on board for one book, and suddenly <laughs> everything gets taken up a level. <laughs> <laughs> we should all uh, And the other book, that ha- you've all mentioned books that, that I was going to mention. Uh, the other one I think that, that, that is going to be a big book next year is 13 by Steve yeah. Kavanagh, yeah. which is an amazing book. Again, a kind of real... I mean, you know, the books before that have all been great. This really feels like a step up into massive big leagues to me. I just thought it was an incredible book. Um, so really shaping up to be a good year, I think, 2018, uh, in the worlds of crime fiction and crime drama. But before we finish, let's just get back briefly to Christmas. Just just for Susie. Um, what do we all eat for Christmas dinner? Do we all have traditional Christmas dinner? Um, well, I think I'm supposed to be having duck this year. What? Yeah, duck. <laughs> yeah, okay. right with tradition. Yeah. Yeah. But with all the trimmings. Duck and all the trimmings. Oh, yeah, and all the trimmings. And do you still yeah. have, like, Christmas pudding and stuff, or do you do something weird for that? Like no, lemon meringue weird. pie? I mean, duck isn't weird. It's Duck's quite weird for Christmas, isn't it? Yeah. Goose. Oh. Goose isn't weird, but duck's I, I quite had, weird. I had goose one Why year. Why have KFC? There was, there was, <laughs> well, that's, that hardly counts as chicken, <laughs> does it? Um, no, no, but or, or turkey. I mean, turkey can be a bit bland, can't it? No, I agree. I do agree. Yeah. I do agree. Chris? I, oh, it'll be at my mum's. The turkey with all the trimming, so it doesn't get bland because she makes you know, about five different types of stuffing and insists you have some of it all, uh, bread sauce and all of the. Why do we only ever say trimmings at Christmas? You know, it's not like the rest of the year we have roast chicken and we. Have, but you never go. Can we have roast chicken and all the trimmings? Well, the some, trimmings is something that just pubs mm, do exclusively that. Christmas, for isn't it? Pubs do that. Do you with all the trimmings? Do, well, just mean veg. I mean, what, that, what Niles uh, once yeah. contemptuously described in Fraser as fixins. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Susie? We know you hate and detest Christmas, but you do you... You never in the world guess what I'm having for Christmas Day. Oh, let's try. An Indian. Yes! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just curry, what? Home delivery curry? No, no, no. I'm going to my mum and dad's, and on Christmas Day, there will only be uh, my, me and my husband and mum and dad, and we're having a big walk on the beach, followed by a homemade curry. 
On Boxing Day, no. no. (laughs) On Boxing Day, though, we are having more of an actual Christmas day because my sister and my grandparents and nieces, and we will have actual Christmas food, but it will be roast beef. Okay. The meal of the year for for me at Christmas, without a doubt, is what you have on Boxing Day, which is bubble and squeak, just huge amounts of bubble and squeak with cold turkey and pickles and... Chips, oh, yeah. but do you not like to do? Uh, do you not like to do a ham for Boxing Day? <laughs> do a ham. <laughs> do a ham. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm from Newcastle. Dickens, not. <laughs> Shall we have a ham? But I do that with all the trimming. I do. I get it on Boxing Day, you know. He's even got his Bob Cratchit hat on. Well, then, we've dealt with food. We've done food. What do we all want for Christmas? You know, blah blah, peace on earth, etc., etc. But what do we really want for Christmas? One, one present you would love to be given. In, in, your, in somebody's bulging sack. <laughs> <laughs> Grow I, I, up again, Chris Brookmeyer. <laughs> Come on, what do you want for Christmas? I already got my Christmas present early. Which is? Which was the publishing deal. Oh, the publishing deal for the new book. <laughs> yeah. Happy Christmas, Martin. <laughs> well, putting aside all, all ideas of a publishing deal... Um, <laughs> It's a Doctor Who thing. Oh, <laughs> it's no, no. They've they've just completed Sharda, the missing Tom Baker story Ooh, from nineteen seventy nine. The the basis for Dirk Gently's holistic detective agency. It was, yeah. yeah. And um, look, Mark's backing away now. <laughs> and In that's horror. that's just come out on Blu-ray now. So I'm massively excited about that. Okay, um, <laughs> that, that, ladies and gentlemen, is about it for this special festive episode of A Stab in the Dark. So in this episode, what have we learned? We've learned that Susie Holiday hates Christmas, mm. that a space boo hiss, that a space station on the cover of a novel is not sufficient information for slightly dimmer readers, and that Martin Waits can't go for more than five minutes without mentioning Doctor Who. We will be back again in 2018 with more of the biggest names in crime fiction and crime drama. You should see who we've got lined up. But in the meantime, you can find out more about a stab in the dark at uktv.co.uk slash a stab in the dark or get in touch with us on twitter hashtag a stab in the dark now if this is the first time you've listened to us what on earth is wrong with you there are 20 episodes waiting for you to listen to on your podcast app featuring chats with everyone from mark gatiss and the wise david simon to ian rankin val mcdermott patricia cornwell david morrissey we get the very biggest names if you like what you hear don't forget If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and review us on your podcast app. Yes, I know, I always ask you to review and rate, but it really does make a huge difference to us if you can leave nice messages. If you leave nasty ones, well, Santa won't give you that My Little Pony you asked for this year, and he'll probably do something revolting to your cranberry sauce. Oh, and tell your friends about us too. And just a quick reminder, you can watch the best crime drama every day on UK TV channels Alibi and Drama. There's loads of Miss Marple, Death in Paradise, Sherlock, Father Brown, Murdoch Mysteries. It's all there. So with that, it's a huge thank you to my very special guests, Chris Brookmeyer, Susie Holiday, and Martin Waits. And thanks to our producers, Paul Hirons and Joel Porter. My name's Mark Billingham. Have a very murderous, sorry, Merry Christmas and a terrifying, I mean a happy and healthy New Year. And thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.